All-Star Weekend is over, and now it's time for us to talk about it, so tune in. The Utah Jazz were definitely at the center of the All-Star break. I mean, being the host, that would make sense, but Thatcher, you were also the center of the All-Star break. You were you were in the midst of it, man. Um, I'm excited I, to hear more about your experience there, dude. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to talk about it. Plus, another starter injury for the running Utes before their last homestand this season against the L.A. schools. What are our adjusted expectations now? What do we think they're going to be? And for our draft this week, we're talking about the best characters from the Lord of the Rings movies. Richie's going to own me in that one, but we'll see how that goes at the end of the show. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. All right, guys, here are today's Thatcher Effect headlines. Per the usual, Richie, take us away. The Utah Jazz hosted a very exciting All-Star Weekend with record viewership across streaming platforms. And the NBA released their numbers today, and they said on their NBA app, on ESPN, basically on every way you could view the All-Star events, they had record viewership, which is just awesome considering it was at Utah. Um, jazz players were featured in just about every event, especially the main events. And it was a really awesome weekend to be a part of just living here in Utah. And what about the running Utes? What do you, what happened there? Oh man, the running Utes, those those were some rough, rough games, man. Uh, They suffered back-to-back losses against good, good Arizona teams. Um, Number seven, Arizona was obviously something that we talked about. Wasn't going to really be too much of a game. Um, And Arizona state, that one was a heartbreaker. Um, But, yeah, they lost both those games, and their tournament bid has seemingly died. They are gearing up to host number four UCLA on Thursday and then USC on Saturday in two games that, if they win both of them, talks could of a tournament appearance could come back to life. I don't know. That would be really interesting. But, yeah, definitely a hard spot to be in right now for the running youth. Yeah, for sure. And no big news for Utah football, but potential big news for the Pac-12 conference per the New York Post Apple has become the supposed favorite for the new media deal, which would, again, definitely limit exposure for the conference. But I think a lot of people, including myself, are more interested in the money that's involved. So hopefully we can see what Klyovkov is made of in the coming weeks. But Richie, what are your thoughts on this potential rise in Apple stock to make a deal with the Pac-12? Well, I think when you consider the potential suitors, um, it sounds like it would be between Amazon, ESPN, and like you mentioned, Apple has started to emerge as the front runner. Um, I think those are all really solid options. We haven't seen too much of the Apple sports scene yet. Um, so I'm curious to see what they would do. I will say with Apple TV, all of their stuff is very high quality. And that's something that gets me excited about a potential partnership with them. Um, it also sounds like the commissioner of the Pac-12 is interested in competing with the commissioner of the Big 12 as far as how much money this deal is going to be worth. And I think they're trying to get something a little more than the Big 12 is getting. Um, so that's definitely going to be a number to keep an eye on because it does seem like they're, the rivalry between the Pac-12 and Big 12 continues to build, um, not just through the fans of each conference, but honestly through the commissioners. Both are talking about poaching teams from other schools and or from other conferences. And I don't know, that could all just be one giant mess or it could be something really fun to watch. But yeah, overall thoughts, I think Apple TV would be a really good host for running Utes fo- or for the Utes football and just for the Pac-12 football in general. Yeah, there's, like you said, there's a big rivalry now starting to happen between the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Um, I have a lot of people from BYU, you know, because now they're in the Big 12 saying, hey, Utah, like, I'm pretty sure the Pac-12 conference is dead. Big 12 is going to be like the third best conference in the league. As of right now, I think it's a a race for third place in terms of best Power 5 conference because the SEC and the Big 10 have locked down number one and number two. The Big 12 tried to take their spot, and you know they've done a pretty good job by expanding their conference and then making a pretty good media rights deal with ESPN and Vox. But it seems like the Pac-12 has just not really gotten the deal that they want yet because they're trying to compete with that price, like you said. They want to make something that matches or is better than the Big 12 because then it – that would surely say, okay, they're still in this. 
as far as people that are making a big deal about the exposure part of it, like the Pac-12 hasn't had that much exposure as it is right now. Like the Pac-12 network absolutely blows. Um, they have some great analysts on there. I'm not going to lie. They've got some good talent and stuff and they do a good job, but like it was just a terrible idea for the conference to create its own network because it absolutely limited exposure. It's gone through ups and downs. It, it's been horrendous. So the rumor is that Apple would absorb the Pac-12 network, which I'm totally okay with. Um, but like you said, like Apple has very high quality and we're going to see what they're going to do with the MLS because they just made that huge media deal with MLS. So we can kind of see how they run things that way. But as far, as long as it matches or is close or better to than the, the big 12, like I'm totally okay with it. Um, it's not a big deal to me, whether it's a streaming service. In fact, I think it's better for the conference because then that means you're the first sports league to actually expand into that arena because I think most people are guessing that sports is going into streaming in the future. Like that's the future of sports. So if the Pac-12 can jump into the water first, like that could be even better. And obviously we've heard that they're looking at expanding their conference as well. They're not great teams. It's not, it's no USC, no UCLA, but something to kind of keep their heads above water before I feel like the eventual shift in college football is coming. That's going to change everything pretty dramatically, but yeah, we'll see what happens. I feel like every week something's happening with the media rights deal. And every time some news comes up, the Big 12's like, the Pac-12 is dead. And then the Pac-12 insiders are like, no, this is the greatest deal that's ever going to be made by any conference. So I like the back and forth. Like you said, the rivalry is getting good. Um, but let's see what happens. So, so we'll keep you updated there. But we'll get into All-Star Weekend, of course. We're going to talk about that. But a little bit of NBA news dropped this morning, or sorry, this afternoon, that the Atlanta Hawks fired or... Uh, dismissed their head coach, Nate McMillan. And rumor is that Quinn Snyder has now appeared as the front runner to take over that position when it becomes available. Richie, what are your thoughts on Quinn Snyder maybe coming back to the league and heading over to the East? It's an interesting fit. Um, it sounds like they're looking for somebody that focuses on player development as well as managing um, personalities within the locker room. Because in Atlanta, there are some personalities. I think Trey Young is a really, really, really loud personality that hasn't fit with all of his teammates. And I think a coach could really help that. Um, from the Hawks' perspective, I would really like Quinn Snyder there. I think Quinn Snyder is the exact type of coach you need. Um, he's hard on his players, but at the same time, he's a player's coach. We heard it the entire time he was in Utah. Um, there was never disdain from the players for Quinn Snyder. Rudy Gobert loved him. Donovan Mitchell loved him. He was never the problem, although I think he had some problems. Um, I don't think he was the reason why everything got split up. I think Quinn Snyder is obviously a really good X's and O's basketball coach, and maybe that's what Atlanta needs. They, When you look at their talent, they should be a little bit better than they are. Trey Young is really good, all-star last year, um, has been close to the all-NBA conversation, if not in the all-NBA conversation. DeJounte Murray was an all-star last year, too. He's a really good player. And then they have just really good role players when you look at it. They got John Collins, Clint Capella, Bogdan Bogdanovich, A.J. Griffin. Um, the list goes on and on. I think they have a really good core there. And it just didn't seem like Trey Young and Nate McMillan got along. So I'd be curious to see how the chemistry between Trey Young and Quinn Snyder would be, because I think that would be an entirely different dynamic and could possibly put their franchise back on the right track. I think if it doesn't work out with this coach and Trey Young, then the Trey Young era in Atlanta is probably going to be over pretty soon. Um, it just sounds like there's been too much drama. There's been too much behind the scenes issues um, with coaches, with players that it wouldn't make sense for them to just keep them around anymore. So that's going to be a situation worth monitoring. Obviously there are other candidates in the conversation Heck, we don't even know what Quinn Snyder thinks of the position. He could totally just deny it and stay on his hiatus of basketball. I think he's actually doing some, like, NBA Africa basketball stuff right now. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on in the next couple of weeks as they start their coaching search. Yeah, Trey Young has never seemed to me like the X's and O's type of player. I feel like even dating back to college, he was famous for – making things happen out of crazy situations, just pulling up from half court, that sort of thing. 
So I feel like you said the talent is there for the most part in Atlanta. And I think an X's and O's type of coach is what could not only help the franchise, but what could help these players specifically. Like Trey Young has a lot of popularity and a lot of those players down there, like we we've seen flashes. And I think Quinn Snyder, just like you said, is the right type of coach to get them on the right track. And Steve Kerr has said that being a head coach in the NBA is more of controlling egos and personalities than really focusing on the playbook. And Quinn Snyder really is, I think, knows how to balance both of them. And obviously, a lot of ego checks with Utah Jazz the past few years. Not saying that it ended great, but I think he was able to control it in a way where the Jazz were still competing and playing at a pretty high level when, from what we're seeing, was probably a lot of toxic stuff going on behind the scenes. So we'll see how, what happens there. But I I know Quinn Snyder is going to be back in the league and I'm going to be happy for whoever lands him. But I think it would be it'd be tremendous for the Hawks to get him. Um, but you guys are all here for us to talk about the All-Star Weekend. And that's exactly what we're going to do in the next segment. So this Jazz slash All-Star segment is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Jazz fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So Richie, give me your thoughts on All-Star Weekend, man. Um, I'm I'm really interested to see. There's a lot of talk right after, immediately after it ended on Monday. Um, everyone's talking about it. So what are your thoughts on the general outcome of All-Star Weekend in Utah? I think before we get into the actual events, and I think that's a that could be a very long conversation because some of the events were fun. Um, we got to give a lot of props to Ryan and Ashley Smith for putting on an incredible All-Star weekend. I personally wasn't around Salt Lake during the weekend, but I saw videos of the pop-up shops, of getting people in Salt Lake. It was just an awesome weekend. I think there, there were lots of events around. I know some of my favorite podcasters put on live shows. It just feels like the vibes were a lot different than normal Salt Lake. And I think that's really good. I think Ryan and Ashley did everything that they were supposed to do. Um, and it sounds like a lot of people had a good time. I mean, there's obviously this conversation about how they don't want all-star breaks to be in cold cities, but I don't know. I think it's fun. Um, Salt Lake is definitely a good place to house celebrities, especially with Park City being so close. It's like we constantly have an inflow of celebrities coming in and out. Um, but overall, I just I thought Ryan and Ashley Smith deserve a lot of flowers for what they did. Um, the events were interesting, though, Thatcher. I feel like I feel like we should rank the events from like least interesting to most interesting. That's actually not a bad idea because I feel like there's some clear there. I, there's a clear favorite. I feel like that that's the case. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we rank this. Um, before we get into that, I agree, though. Um, I think this has implications for the Jazz and what you were saying with Ryan and Ashley kind of showcasing Salt Lake. Like the main thing of bringing Dwayne and stuff into the ownership was trying to prove like this this is a good place to come, a good franchise to play for. And even before the All-Star break, a lot of players weren't looking forward to it. But I think it's really showcasing like, hey, like we can be a franchise that pe like players who are um, in free agency, you know, they want to they want to play for and where they want to play. Like Utah has a lot of things to offer. So again, like they did a great job doing that. And a lot of these, I think some of these events proved how good All-Star Weekend can be in Utah. So, Richie, what is our clear favorite? Should, should we start from the top or should we start from the bottom? Let's start from the top. Okay. Because I, I, th I think that's the strong answer. Okay. It's the dunk contest. Like, yeah, 100%. That's what brought people in. That was the most viewed dunk contest of all time. And every former player was saying, Mac McClung single-handedly saved the NBA dunk contest at All-Star Weekend. And I'll be honest, like going into this, and I think this is still something to talk about, um, but a lot of fans were like, okay, like there has to be dunkers in the actual league that can participate in this contest because Mac McClung was playing in the G League. And 
while he was viral for doing a lot of these dunks in high school and, and in college and stuff like that, we were still like, no, there's better dunkers in the NBA. For example, we saw a portion of that in the all-star game with John Morant, like jaws, a big dunker in the league. Um, but there's kind of a perspective that I think is not really taken into account from the early days when the big stars played in the dunk contest, not you couldn't watch every game in the NBA, like not every game was available to see. And so this was kind of their time to showcase their talents uh, once every year. And so I think that kind of puts into perspective, like why some of these big time players participate in the dunk contest um, so that they could showcase what they can do for the whole country to see, because a lot of people couldn't see them the entire, the entire year. At the same time, I still think that players should be in the dunk contest that, you know, drawn more attention. Like John Morant would be so fun to watch players like that. Dude, but Mac McClung, man, like some of those tricks, I, I can tell you like the arena was shaking like when this happened, like everything he pulled out, like the first dunk, especially, I, I think I got chills. Like it was incredible. Richie, what were your thoughts about the dunk contest? Um, Yeah, props to Mac. That was incredible the the first dunk where you didn't see it the first time but the second time when you see him hit the backboard it just added this whole other element of flair um i also think just like the ability to do it first try every time flawlessly is so underrated that was incredible performance by mac um within the wider conversation of the dunk contest i think it's really interesting to look at the history of it because like you said it has changed a lot. Um, back in the day, I was talking to my dad. He said when they had the ABA, the Salt Lake City Stars, they hosted the All-Star um, event one weekend, and he was there. And Dr. J did the dunk contest. And we've had other guys. We, MJ was an obvious example. And I think the generation of hoopers after MJ were so inspired by him. That's why you had Vince Carter. That's why you had Kobe doing the dunk contest. The next guy after MJ was LeBron. LeBron never did the dunk contest, and I think we're seeing the effects of it right now because we're having these players that aren't willing to do it. I think that's why we haven't seen Jaw in it. I think eventually Zion is going to get healthy, and he's a man of the people. I think he's going to do it. I, 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 if he's healthy for an all-star break, I would put money on him doing it. Um, but yeah, Jaw has said he'll never do it. He's the most exciting in-game dunker in the league right now between him and Anthony Edwards, I think. Anthony Edwards has expressed openness to doing it, but John Morant has said never. So I just, I think that's crazy. You got these guys, you got Jericho Sims, you got Trey Murphy, and, and they're okay players. Trey Murphy is, I think, a really good player, actually. Um, but then you got Mac McLung, and it's just, it's maybe not what people want to see. I think the star power adds a completely different element to it. Like, who was the last all-star to do it? I think it was Victor Oladipo in like 2017 the year donovan did it and it's kind of interesting to just see the slippery slope that the dunk contest has become because nobody's really impressing all that much um but yeah honestly big shout outs to mac mcclung he deserves so much praise he doubled his career earnings by winning the dunk contest i don't know if you saw that but he had made like hundred five thousand dollars before and he made a hundred thousand dollars for winning the dunk contest so definitely worth it for him that's insane. I didn't know that. I mean, besides the money though, like that just changed the the trajectory of his NBA career. Uh, Cause now he created a brand for himself. I feel like it's the same thing with Donovan. Like Donovan, his rookie year was showing flashes of what he could become. And then he won the dunk contest. And then I think the popularity started to come in and then he started to make a brand for himself. So shout out, shout out to Mac, man. Like I'm not joking. I was in the press room after when he, he came in, like it was flooded. And that same day they had, yeah, that was um, Saturday. So that same day was like an Ad Adam Silver's big state of the union NBA press conference. Like Mac McClung's was just as packed and there were like flashing <laughs> cameras. I was like, Holy cow, dude, this guy's like, and he said it himself, like it was all a blur, but like great job by him. And obviously like it took the arena completely away that stole the show, stole the night, stole the weekend. Um, Can I interject for one second? Yeah. I, ju I just got to give shout outs to, I think it was my favorite dunk just because it caught me off guard, but it was Trey Murphy's first dunk where Jose Alvarado came out from the crowd and stole it in typical Jose Alvarado fashion. I just feel like the for the hoop heads that are always watching basketball that have watched the Pelicans, that was kind of an iconic moment. 
that not enough people appreciated because they aren't familiar with Jose Alvarado or that little thing that he does. But I, that low key, that caught me off guard. I thought it was one of the most exciting moments personally. I was like in my living room, standing up all by myself. Nobody else in my family knew what was going on, but yeah, I loved it. Yeah. We, I, I thought that one was a 50 as well. Like in terms of creativity and style, like again, cause it's kind of hard to think of dunks for the average you know, the average person to think of new things to do. I like that one because like you said, like the style was phenomenal. Everyone was laughing, thought it was, thought it was great. Okay. So here's where, like, again, like that's clearly the favorite event going down the list. I'm thinking about it. Um, for me, I don't know, maybe I'd say the three point contest. And, um, I'd say only because it was awesome for Dame, uh, to get it in Utah. And it just seemed like, he was he really loved uh being in Utah and being a jazz fan i was kind of like dude man like maybe danny ainge pulls some stuff maybe we get dame who knows but he was really just showing love to the city and he put on a great performance um i think tyrese halliburton dropped like 31 in the first round and then completely tanked after that but i mean dame's going to dame i it wasn't like a foot like no one had like an insane performance but I just like that Dame won it. I think that's kind of what puts it at number two. I don't know. What, what's what's your event that you're going to put at the two slot? Yeah, I would actually have the uh, the three-point contest there as well because it is attracting the most star power lately. Um, I mean, if you look at who was in it, you had Julius Randle, who's an all-star, although I don't know how he managed to be the guy that snuck in there. Um, you had Laurie Markkinen, an all-star, Damian Lillard. Um, and then you just have like, all these guys that people know you had Tyler hero, Kevin Herter, um, buddy Hild. like these are known shooters. So I just think it's different from the dunk contest because you know, you're getting the best of the best. Whereas in the dunk contest, it, I mean, they're good dunkers, but it's not necessarily like the best in game dunkers. Um, but I feel like that's kind of the three point contest in a way has become the new dunk contest as far as like who is participating in it. Because you're getting the stars, you're getting the all-stars. Um, and it's not the same as the dunk contest. But yeah, I, I think it's really fun. I'm hoping we get a Dame-Steph showdown. I feel like both of them just got to do one more, put it to bed. You know, we'll never have the conversation again. Not that there's much conversation to be had. But that would be awesome for next year if we could get those two to go at it. Yeah, and it... If it's those two, like in the final round, you have to add an even deeper like zone. Cause that like, that's their thing. They're not pulling up like from right behind the line. Like they're pulling up from like 10 feet back. So maybe we'll uh, petition for that to happen. Okay. So the next one down, this is where I feel like rising stars and skills challenge kind of had similar vibes, but I'm going to go with the rising stars game next. Um, just because I felt like there was a, there's a little bit more effort than there is in the actual all-star game. Um, and I actually like the round robin type of thing where there's three teams, a little mini tournament. And this is a, again, a place where people can kind of showcase their skills. And once again, Jose Alvarado was able to show people what he can do, what he's made of. Um, so I'm going to go with that one at the, at the three slot. Um, which one, what, what are you going with? I think I'd probably go skills challenge but I can understand the argument for either. My thing with the skills challenge is I think it has devolved in a way. Like, do you remember when you had Darren Williams, Chris Paul, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Kobe, all doing the skills challenge? It's it's just changed a lot since then. So I think in a vacuum this year, I thought the Rising Stars game was a little bit better. Yeah. Um, like you said, every I think every one of these events used to be a little bit better back in the day. They've all kind of devolved. And obviously, like, last place is the All-Star game. And this is where the conversation is kind of coming into place right now. Um, I was able to be at Adam Silver's press conference. And this was kind of a top, a pretty big topic of discussion. Besides, they talked a lot about load management, obviously, because I think that's the biggest discussion going around the league this year. But in terms of All-Star weekend, it was really about the effort and kind of what the game looks like now. And I'm going to be honest, um, I got technically paid to watch this game. Um, I was able to watch the first three quarters. Um, I don't even know if it was worth it to get paid watching that game. Uh, I'm going to be straight up honest. Um, 
I was able to see tons of celebrities. Uh, Jake from State Farm sat like three rows ahead of me. Um, I had some BYU basketball players sitting like two rows behind me. I was in the upper bowl too. And uh, I just immediately from the get-go, like you know what's going to happen. But seeing it live, I was just so disinterested. There was really, luckily there were like a few plays, right, that get people going. But man, it's so hard to watch. Like, And people are paying thousands of dollars to watch this unfold before their eyes. And I was just completely astounded sitting there and realizing, wow, people are paying to watch this. And it's so sad um, because I feel like you're looking at highlights from the all-star game in the nineties and like, there's like hard defense. Um, and the, again, this is, it's like the rising stars, but like they're trying to showcase what they can do. And that's what people come to watch. Like that's what the all-star game is. It's like the best against the best. And when you're not competing and these are all natural competitors, like when you have the players coming out and saying there's something wrong with the all-star game, like you as a commissioner, you as a, an organization have to do something to change it. And I feel like there's abs close to nobody who is interested in the current format because once again, there's no one trying. There's no effort. I'll say there's maybe one benefit to the game being like this. And it's not in terms of all-star weekend players view this week or the weekend as like a vacation. And so players who aren't going to the all-star weekend, they go on like a mini trip. And even those who are still, you know, they treat it like a vacation and that's how all-star weekend presents itself. It's, it's a break from the season before you gear into the final, you know, 25, 30 games. So the benefit of that happening is that I think once all-star weekend is done, players go to another level um, in this final third part of the season. Like this is where games become highly competitive for teams that are vying for a playoff spot. And so the games I think will be, um, we've had some great, this has been a great regular season. I think, like always, this final third uh, stretch going into the playoffs, this is where teams and players are going to heighten their abilities, try even harder. They want to get a good seed. And you saw that. A lot of players were openly saying that. Like, I don't care about... They didn't really want to answer questions about the All-Star Weekend. They're basically just saying, I'm back to focusing on my team. Like, we're going to try and, you know, get a win, try and, you know, go to the NBA Finals. So that's the one benefit, I think, is that it provides a needed break. And I think... a as bad as it is, like the this first two thirds part of the season still competitive, still great, but having this little break or this vacation now, I think it sets apart the final, you know, twenty five games for these games to be really competitive and really fun to watch. So I think that's the small benefit of treating All Star Weekend as a vacation. But Richie, I know you have a lot of thoughts, so let me. So what are your thoughts on the current format of the All Star Game and what you noticed from this last Sunday? The first thing that needs to change is no more layups in the All-Star game. If you get if you do a layup in the All-Star game, you should get fined like $50,000. I don't care. I don't want to see Joel Embiid doing layups or Jason Tatum doing layups. It's just, it's so lame. Um, yeah, I mean, look, we're not expecting them. We're not even asking them to put in 100% effort in this game. I think that's a ridiculous expectation. However, we are expecting them to put in like 80% effort to put your body in front of them, not create like an open lane. It's like they're doing a tunnel every time somebody's about to drive where they all just, it's like Moses parting the sea. I don't know what's going on there, but they just allow guys to get to the rim so easy. And it just, it makes for a really lame experience as a viewer. And that's the thing about All-Star Weekend. I recognize that it is a break for the players, but it's for the fans. All-Star Weekend, you you do it all for the fans. You, heck, the whole season is for the fans, yet because the fans love the players so much, it's given the players this pedestal of power where they've the, we're in the middle of the player empowerment era. And in the middle of the player empowerment era, I think ha we've seen a lot of digression in a lot of areas, especially those two things that Adam Silver talked about in his press conference with load management and with the All-Star game. Um, players just aren't taking it the, as seriously as they used to. And it, it's interesting because I think not everybody, not even all the players are wanting to do it. Um, I think it's just been some of the guys that are at the front that have been leading the charge. Like you could hear Jalen Brown 
he talked about it after the game, how he just thinks it's so lame. He's like, that's the worst game I ever played. Um, Coach Mike Malone said the same thing, said it's just the worst game ever played. Nobody wants to play that game. So I just feel like the players are going to have to take it upon themselves, maybe in the players association and have some sort of rules or there's going to have to be some sort of incentivization from the NBA if there's going to be a competitive all-star game. And like I said, we're not asking for these guys to dive for loose balls. We're not asking for them to play the hardest defense of their life. We just want a show. We want to see the best pickup game ever played with the best 24 players on earth. And I mean, you, you, we played pickup, man. We're not playing our hardest. We're not diving for loose balls. It's different than playing in an actual game. And you can feel it. You're not, you're not risking injury, but there's also a certain level of defense being played and you're going to put your hand up in somebody's face and you're not going to allow the easy stuff. So I just, I really think that's going to be key for the NBA to maximize this weekend for the fans, because at the end of the day, I stand with that statement this weekend, as much as the players may view it as a break, it is for the fans. And I think players have to be able to recognize that. And I think the NBA is going to have to make some changes for that to be um, kind of, a bigger emphasis when you're talking about this weekend. That's a phenomenal statement right there. I, I, I might consider that as NBA scripture. Um, but even the players say like they're doing it for the viewers and they're trying to make it a fun experience. Like that's the whole point of the weekend. And a lot of people were talking about the Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum one-on-one stretch that we had there in the second half. Like they're maybe giving giving 60%, and that's what got people hyped. Like, they're just putting a little bit of effort into their defense. And even on offense, they're not really doing anything, but, like, just seeing effort. Again, like, that's all we're asking for. Because that's what you're paying for, is to see the best players on the court. Like, you can notice in some NBA games, though, like, they're obviously not going to give 100% in every single game. Like, again, that's if, if every player gave 100% in all 82 games, like, guys would be dead that there would be a lot of injuries. Um, and that's a whole nother discussion to talk about, you know, the, how many games there are in a season. But again, like you said, like just giving a partial effort um, because right now it's like 10% where they're just, it's kind of doing like Jalen Brown said, it's like a layup line. Like they're all just kind of standing back and players just going in and doing wide open layups. Like why would I pay $900 to see that? Um, I can do that myself at my local church gym. Um, so maybe I should be an all-star. Maybe I'll get a Jersey, but I just think there's the weekend has so much potential. And we talked about before we talked about the All-Star game, we talked about all those events on Friday and Saturday. Like they have potential and people are tuning in because there is that possibility that these events can be great. Like I would not have predicted that this dunk contest would have been the most viewed ever in NBA history looking at the lineup, but it was able to live up to it because once again, Mac McClung gave effort and the fact that he had like five dunks in the bank and you know, he really wanted to do it. And he said, I'm coming back. Like I want to do this again. Like that's what we're looking for because once again, like player empowerment, like you said, that that's the era of this age of NBA basketball. It's taken some things down in a lot of ways. It's taken some things up in some ways, but at the same point, you have to realize like the NBA is an entertainment business. Uh, sports is an entertainment business. Like it's so that we as fans, as viewers can watch something and, and that we're drawn to it. And it's not entertaining to watch layups and it's not entertaining to watch people give half effort in the skills challenge and no disrespect to like people with no big name brands participating in these challenges because, you know, it can, it can change that. But like these stars have an ability to boost the NBA's ratings, to boost their own ratings in a way that hasn't been done in the last few decades. And I think, I just think the NBA would benefit as a whole if stars were to be able to recognize once again, you're in the entertainment industry. So make some, make it entertaining uh, rather than thinking this is like a job. And so, Oh, this is this is a break for my job before you know gearing up for the final part of the season. Going back to kind of the whole thing about the All Star break, though, again, like I think Utah did a great job. Um, the environment around Salt Lake City, dude, was crazy. Um, it was packed. 
um, the state put tracks on for free. And I think Saturday it was like standing room only from the morning until the very end of the night. Like everyone was going downtown and it was sad to see uh, once again, Chuck and uh, Shaq kind of bashing the, the city, like right before tip off. Um, but the things that they're labeling as like fun things to do in the city, like that's just not what people do in Utah. Like if you're labeling like the fun things to do is like drinking, you know, gambling, uh, you know, having fun, like drinking, gambling, drugs. Like that's not what downtown salt. I feel like that's not what a lot of cities are going to do. Like it's not like Milwaukee or um, a lot of these other small cities are like really anything better, like Oklahoma city. Um, and so I think it's, it's really hard for us to try and jump over that. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I'm, I'm blanking on the word, but how people are already assuming kind of like what Salt Lake is and they're not ready to kind of, or willing to see what Salt Lake can be or the things that it has to offer. And like down the downtown vibe was amazing for those who live here. Like it was phenomenal. You had the NBA crossover event. Um, City Creek was bumping. It was alive. Um, there were billboards everywhere. Every hotel was booked. Um, Adam Silver said this was the most economically impactful NBA all-star weekend in history um, for this, for any city involved, like there was just so much going on and it was so great to see everyone in Utah really just want to be a part of this event. So I hope players kind of see maybe like this can be a place that they want to play. Um, but Richard, did you have any thoughts about like what Shaq and Chuck said before tip off in terms of Salt Lake again, once again, not being a, a fun city, but rather a, a boring city, man. I just think the main antithesis to their argument is just look at Jordan Clarkson on Saturday night. What are the what are the chances that he was high and having a great time? He, he looked was, like he was pretty high during the skill contest. And I I can attest he was he was I'm pretty sure he was high in the press conference too. Um <laughs> like Walker Kessler told him multiple times, like he he moved he did the like to cut it out what Jordan was saying. Um Cause I think uh, one of the questions asked was like, you know, how did you guys like prepare for this? And Jordan Clarkson was like, yeah, well, you know, before I hit my, you know, uh, or they were talking about Lori Markin and participating in the three point contest. He's like, yeah, he was still like hitting the racks, man, in the gym last night while I was going off bouncing to like five or six different parties. And he was like about to go on and Walker <laughs> Kessler's like, like, dude, like you got to cut it off, man. <laughs> like he's got like the half open eyes, you know, like, yeah, dude, like it was, it was a gym, <laughs> but like, yeah, it's like that's your point. Like Jordan Clarkson is the type of guy like who wants to go to the clubs. He wants to go to the bars. Like that's that's his personality and he's he loves Utah. And again, I think there's maybe three or four cities that are in the league that have the type of environment where you can go out and go gambling, drinking and, you know, do drugs like while you're not playing games. Like there's only a few cities. Everywhere else, I I don't know what the city life is like. Again, it boggles me. I'm not trying to like throw down on Oklahoma City, but I've been to Oklahoma City, dude. Like, it's like half as big as Salt Lake. It's just fields surrounding the place. It's like in the middle of nowhere, and there's still stuff to do there. But no one bashes Oklahoma City. Everyone bashes Utah, and Utah has one of the highest growing populations in the country on a consistent basis. Like, you have a ton of tech companies coming in here now. A lot of the California migrants are moving to Utah. And the real estate market is still increasing and, and getting higher. Like, like you said, you have Park City. Um, I had one of my, my, my director who works for the NBA, he lives in Brooklyn, basically asked the question, like, what is there to do? Because I can't really let loose out here. And I was like, well, this isn't really the place to let loose in the way that you're thinking. But I was like, where is another place in the country where you can get off a plane and within the hour be up skiing in some of the best snow on earth? Or within the same hour, go on an incredible hike up these giant mountains that are right next to the city. You can literally go from up in the canyons to downtown vibes, again, within the hour, which I think is very rare across the entire country. Like The state is so diverse, but I think players and the organization as a whole, like I saw it with the media, they just don't understand it and no one likes it. Um, so I, I hope it changed some players' perspectives um, or thoughts about the city. But dude, like that was kind of frustrating for me because like my own like employers for the weekend were like, 
yeah, Salt Lake is just, I, I'm just really bored. He's like, it hasn't really changed since we were here in like 1993. I'm like, dude, I've only, I've only been in Utah for like seven or eight years. And I can already see the changes that they've made downtown. I I just don't know what else to say anymore. You know, like when they're asking like, what do I do to let loose? Like, I just don't even know how to respond. So Richie, what would, do you have like any, any final thoughts on what you would do to, I don't know how to, how to say this, but how to, uh, show off Utah to the rest of the league? That's the thing. I think, I don't know, man. I think there are a lot of people I pay attention to that really had a good time this weekend. I was listening to Ryan Rusillo's podcast. He's probably my favorite podcaster. And he was just, he was telling everybody, he did a live show with Laurie Markin and he was saying how much he loved Utah. He's been there like eight or nine times. And he's like, I love Park City. I love Salt Lake. It's just the vibes are really good. The people are nice. What's to hate about Utah? If you hate Utah and you just don't know what to do, then I don't know. I kind of think there's something wrong with you. Like there's so much to do here. All you have to do is like, he was talking about how people just have this weird stigma where they're like, oh, Utah? Or I, I'm kind of nervous to go to Utah. Why would you be nervous to come to Utah? Like I recognize that it's kind of a small city. Um, like we're probably half the size of Denver. But we're also a lot closer to other things than like Denver, for example. We're closer to the ski resorts. Like you said, we're closer to just everything. Everything's a lot closer together. And I really feel like people just have this weird perception about the city because I just don't think they're getting the right information. Um, I don't know. I feel like as it continues to grow, as the city grows, things are going to kind of change within that conversation. But yeah, I mean – Hey, we live in Utah. We know Utah better than anybody else. We love it. I think that's all that really matters. It's going to start growing on people. Um, Yeah, I mean, heck, it's not even as cold as it is in Boston, for example. Like, yeah, there's snow on the ground, but Boston gets – it was like negative 20 last week. So, yeah, I'm I'm done with the the Utah discourse. I I think it's stupid. Yeah, and I, I think if if Shaq's saying that he stayed in his room all weekend, I don't know if that's a valid opinion to go off of because obviously he didn't try to make an effort to see what Utah was like. Um, I know most of our listeners are from Utah, so you guys already know how it is. Um, but yeah, kind of frustrating. But like you said, a lot of players and a lot of people, a lot of the media came out of that and said, wow, Utah did a really great job and I'm open to coming back. And I think it's a great spot to have an all-star weekend to bring celebrities in, like you said. Um but let's transition. We got running Utes basketball. Um, they've got two really good teams coming in this weekend, but you had a pretty big loss on Thursday against U of A. Just never really got things going, especially on the offensive side. They weren't able to shoot well, but then you lose Raleigh Wooster against ASU. And Craig Smith said that both Wooster and Madsen are doubtful uh, for this week. And, I'm going to be honest. I made plans to attend uh, both of these games. I don't know if it's worth the trip from Provo to Salt Lake uh, to see the game on Thursday anymore. Um, Richie, what are your thoughts on the Arizona road trip? And how do you think um, those losses, especially the loss of Wooster, will impact uh, Utah, especially this coming weekend? I think the Arizona game was probably as expected, and that's fine. Utes were, came in as big underdog. You'd beat them earlier in the season, but it seemed like kind of a fluky win. Um, Arizona has since kind of picked things up after that. Um, I think, yeah, Arizona, they're a really good team. They held Utah 32% from the field and 33% from three. It was a really rough offensive game. I liked Will exact that game, though. I thought he played some good minutes. He had 10 points off the bench. It's kind of just been fun watching his progression throughout the season. So that's kind of one of the bright parts of that game. The loss to Arizona State, I think, is the one worth examining a lot more because it gets into um, kind of what we can expect the rest of the season, especially without Wooster. Uh, first half was fine. We went into half winning. And before um, this game, you were 17-0, and win leading at halftime, and 0-10 when losing at halftime. So it was basically, if you're winning at halftime, you're going to win the game. Unfortunately, this was the one rule to the except or one exception to the rule, and Utah lost. Um, they had 17 turnovers this game. Arizona State only had five. I think that's the real big story, especially as soon as Wooster went down. Um, Arizona State recognized that Utah didn't have a true ball handler on the floor, and they started pressing. 
and what was once at like an eight or six point lead quickly, quickly evaporated. And their press was just, it was really frustrating for the Utes. Um, I think there were multiple possessions in a row where Brandon Carlson didn't even touch the ball because of the press. And I think that's such a major issue when your best player can't even touch the ball. Um, so you had, we had Boston Holt, we had Will Exact and Marco Anthony, as well as Lazar kind of trying to run that press and go against it. And it was just horrific to watch. And I know a lot of Utes fans were screaming, hey, we have a decent ball handler on the bench. We got Mike Saunders, put him on the floor. From everything we've heard from Coach Smith, Mike Saunders isn't that guy. And I don't think he's going to be a guy that touches the floor for the rest of the season, quite frankly. Um, so I don't know. I I feel like that was the big story of the game. And I think that's going to be something to walk, keep an eye on. Because without Wooster, Utah doesn't have a true ball handler. And they kind of don't have an identity. Um, I think their defense was still fine. They forced misses from Arizona State. Obviously, just having Carlson on the floor plays a really big part of your defensive scheme. And um, I think they'll be able to survive defensively against these teams, but I don't think they'll be able to win because I think offensively it's going to be so hard. I'm really curious to see who's going to step up, what the starting lineup looks like. I would imagine just based on who's played the most minutes that will exact would come in as another ball handler. And you'd probably have to ball handle a lot between him, Marco Anthony and Lazar Stefanovic. Um with Ben Carlson and Brandon Carlson doing a little bit. But I think that's going to be the big thing to keep an eye on because UCLA, they're, they're as well-coached a team as anybody in the country. And Jalen Clark is one of the best guard defenders in the country. And I think he's averaging like 2.6 steals a game. He is going to create havoc for this Utah defense, for this Utah offense, as well as Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkins. They have a lot of good um, defenders across the board. USC has a really good defense, too. They have three guys over, averaging over a steal per game, and Boogie Ellis, Drew Peterson, and somebody else that I can't remember. Um, but they're just – Utah's playing two teams that are going exactly against their weaknesses right now. And I think those both those teams are going to exploit Utah's weaknesses unless there's a proper game plan in place or somebody else is able to step up. I think it'll be a great opportunity for Will Exact to play more meaningful minutes, to play more minutes just in general. And we might see some more guys from the bench. I think Boston Holt will probably play some more minutes. It seems like he was the first guy off the bench to fill in some of the ball handling duties. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a little bit of Jackson Brenchley. I think he can help in that regard. Um, but, yeah, we're, we're in for some, some rough games without Wooster and Madsen because, quite frankly, I think they are two of our best ball handlers. And – it's just it's frustrating. Sorry, I I realize I'm ranting, but it's frustrating realizing that there's still an open roster. There's still an open scholarship spot that hasn't been used in two consecutive years, and in both years we've dealt with injuries, especially at the end of the season. If we used that roster spot and had another ball handler ready to go, that would make such a big difference as we close um, the season stretch. And I don't, I don't know. I'm really curious what the logic is behind keeping that roster spot open. Yeah. Going into that, this off season, and I think in order for us to deem it a success, it has to start off with a successful recruiting um, off season. Um, obviously in today's NCAA world and especially in college basketball transfers, it's, there's going to be hundreds, if not you know, thousands of players moving across the board. Utah has to be a place where all the scholarship spots are filled and all your needs are filled. And we've talked about that in past episodes where these, like this program and I think these starters right now, like the starting five has the potential and we've seen it to be competitive and to beat good teams. Like this team fully healthy, I believe, um, can be a tournament team um, and can, you know, can maybe win a first weekend game. But when they're not healthy, and we saw that last year with Brandon Carlson being out a ton, and now this year with Matson being gone and, and Wooster being out, like we don't have a bench at all. We don't have depth and it just absolutely destroys us. And it's hard to watch, like you said, because with those spots open, uh, you hate to think like, what if, you know, um, looking on the bright side, as you were mentioning before, Will Exact, I think, had a great Arizona trip, um, just speaking for himself. 
Um, I'm going to say I was a little bit iffy on the guy uh, before. He showed some great flashes in some games. Um, he wasn't really getting a lot of minutes, especially right before this Arizona trip. Uh, but his athleticism, his body build alone, it, it's similar to Kata, where they're both two freshmen, but they don't look like freshmen. Um, those were two guys that I thought were great pickups for Utah. Um, right as we got them, I thought, wow, this is a really big step for the program. And I think it is. Like I, I still think it is. I think Kata Kata can play a fantastic role going into Utah's future. I think Will Exact can play um, an even bigger role. And especially with uh, those other ball, the um, Wooster being out, he can be a, a better ball handler. Like next season with Marco Anthony not having any more eligibility, I think Will Exact can walk into a, an open wing spot um, in the starting rotation next year. He has the bill to be able to play uh, I may, maybe to the four, but for sure the one through the three spots. Um, he can be able to defend forwards and guards. He's got the athleticism. He definitely has the ability. Um, so I'm not expecting wins this weekend whatsoever. I am expecting a step up once again in Will Exact's game because this is his time to shine. I'm not saying it's time to play like, you know, isolation ball with Will Exact. Just let him run the show. But like, I want to see what he's like because now as a freshman, he has to prove himself as a leader. And I think he has to prove himself as okay, we got other guys down. It's time for me to make a move as a freshman. Time time for me to score some points. Um, for me, at least my expectation for Will Exact is to at least hit um, like the 13-point mark, 14-point mark in both games. And I'm looking for some good defense, at least from him. Um, I know Stefanovic's uh, defense is, is not great. Um, it, it hasn't been great all year. Um, I think Stefanovic is a great uh, sixth man. And I, like we saw that in the, you know, most of the season, he's able to come in and provide good shooting. Um, but like you said, he's not a good ball handler and it was exposed against ASU. He's not, I feel like in my opinion, he's not a good starting point guard uh, leader. And I think other players can step up and fill that role. Um, we were both, we've talked about it before. We were both very low on Wooster at the beginning of the season, before the season, uh, because he showed maybe one or two games last season where he was really good, but the rest of the time, very average. This year, he's been great. And we've been able to see how much he's been able to control not only the tempo on offense, but how he controls the defense. I, I think Wooster has played some incredible complete games, especially against the top opponents. I think it'd be fantastic, not looking too far ahead, but I think that Brandon Carlson should come back and um, not sure about uh, Boston Holt and some of the other guys in Brenchley, you know, who have eligibility as well. But if Brandon Carlson would have come back, like the starting five as it is right now, and, you know, saying you replace Will Exact uh, for Marco Anthony, again, that's a starting five that I think can make the tournament. I'm not saying there'll be a top five seed or whatever, but I think, I believe they'll make, they can make the tournament. For me, it's up to the bench. It's up to the depth. Um I think that's really what it comes down to, and that's what we're going to see this weekend. Um, I'm hoping that you can keep it within 15, like a 15-point loss. USC's maybe a little bit more doable. Uh, USC's lost to like Oregon State. They've dropped a few. UCLA really hasn't dropped games to lower-tier Pac-12 opponents. Um, I'm also hoping that going into the tournament that the Utes can be fully healthy because, once again, I feel like they can make some noise. They already really solidified an NIT bid. Um, but I think maybe a few wins in the Pac-12 tournament could maybe get them a higher seed. Uh, before the Arizona trip, I thought there were a one seed in the NIT. Um, I like they'll still be in there, but I don't know what kind of seed they're going to look like now, especially if you go on a losing losing four in a row type of streak. So, Richie, what are your expectations going into the end of the season? Um, you know, past these Arizona games, looking into the future with this roster that the run Newts have right now. Um, yeah, I mean, looking into this weekend to start, I don't expect a win in either game. I think you made a great point about Will Exact. It's definitely going to be time for him to step up. Frankly, I've been impressed by his ball handling. I think he totally is good enough at ball handling for his positional size. Like in an ideal world, he probably plays the three, maybe the two. And I think his ball handling is good enough for that. I think he would really benefit playing with a lead ball handler like Rolly Wooster. But ultimately, I don't think um, that's too important. I think he'll have a lot of opportunities to shine. Like you said, I I want him to put up like 12 shots in each game. 
I want him to try and get to like 13 or 14 points. I think that's a great goal for him. And Utah's going to need that. They're going to need a lot of scoring boost um, just because Wooster creates so much for this team, um, not just his shot creation, but also his passing. And Utah doesn't really have that in any other guy. So it, it'll be a big opportunity for him. Um, I think just looking at the rest of the roster, I think everybody else just has to really elevate their game to a whole new level. We've seen flashes where Marco Anthony can go for like 17, 18 points. If Utah wants a chance in either game, I think he's going to need to have some big games. It seems like Carlson is always able to affect the game in some ways, but somehow sometimes he can offensively be schemed out of the game. Um, and I would expect that to happen against both these teams who have good big guys. Um, however, I think Carlson, like I said, he's still able to contribute to the game every game, and that's what makes him a really valuable and good player. Um, bigger picture, I, I do think an NIT bid would be a step for, a step up for this program. We've talked about that all year, how that's trending in the right direction. Um, from some of the bracketology of the NIT that I've seen, it seems like we might be in a region the, like the Utah State region where they're the number one seed. We could be like a three or four seed and we would have some games in Utah, which would be fun to start. But I, I don't know. There, I think there's still real chances of us being on the higher seeding in the NIT tournament, which is a good place to start. And heck, who knows? we could maybe win as long as we don't play Oregon in the NIT tournament. Um, going beyond this year, I feel like it's just going to – this next recruiting class is so important. We we don't know who's coming back, like you said. Um, Carlson had real NBA hopes last year. I don't know if that still exists. You can look at some of like the ESPN's top 100 right now. He doesn't appear in any of that stuff, which is too bad. I just think between his age – um, his injury history, there's a lot to be wary about if you are an NBA team. However, heck, Booth Gotch was on the Summer League roster last year, so I don't think that's out of the cards for Brandon Carlson. And I would expect him to explore that, to at least enter the draft process, um, do some workouts, and then if things aren't great, then he can opt back in and um, he still has a year of eligibility left. As far as Brenchley and Boston Hole, I'm really curious about both their situations because, frankly, I think – for the betterment of the team, it would be important that both those guys aren't on the roster next year and that you have more open scholarship spots. Um, as much as I like both of those guys as dudes, I think they're both great players in their own rights, but they aren't the exact players that you need to start winning and to make some serious moves. So I wonder if that's a conversation that ha is had behind doors, um, but that'll, that'll be something to keep an eye on, as well as the Mike Saunders situation. We've talked about it. I don't think he's on the roster next year. And so then you're looking at like maybe three or four open scholarship spots and you got to use every single one. You got to get depth. You got to get transfers. You got to get recruits. Um, there's still guys out there. There's still gems in the rough. I expect there to be some good additions next year. And honestly, next year with the way that this year's gone, you have to start talking about tournament chances. And that's got to be the direction that you're aiming for. That is a direction that Coach Smith is aiming for, obviously, because he has made the tournament before as a coach. Um, that's where he wants his program to be, a storied program. And I think that's very realistic for Utah. So definitely, definitely an exciting time for the Utes. Um, kind of an unsure time as well. And it's all going to start with this weekend. Hosting number four UCLA, that's awesome. Never we, I mean, Last time we hosted number four team, we beat them. So here's, here's to number two, man. Who knows what's going to happen? Um, we'll see. I, I, we have a pretty good guess, but you never know. Um, but heading into the final stretch of the episode, we got to do the draft segment, as always. We kind of hinted at it in our last episode about maybe doing a Lord of the Rings one to um, expand upon Richie's knowledge in, in this realm of nerddom. Uh, last week, I believe you had the number one pick, so I'm going to go, okay, I'm gonna go this week. It, it's it stinks because I feel like there's two clear number ones once again, and it kind of changes the uh, direction of, of of my team. Dude, this is this is tough, honestly. Um, but I, I'm gonna go with Gandalf, uh, number one, uh, powerful wizard. 
Uh, he always seems to, you know, to put great teams together to do the impossible. Um, still picking hobbits for some reason. So I maybe wouldn't put him as my GM, but I, I think a good number one overall pick. So I'm going to go with Gandalf. That's a great pick. Um, I don't think my number one pick is going to be who you were expecting it to be. I'm taking Lady Galadriel, the Lady of Lothorin. I just, dude, she's like, if in the books, in the movie, she's like the only person that Sauron is afraid of. She has, she's just, she's powerful. Every word that comes out of her mouth is scripture. She's definitely on that Gandalf tier of powerful characters. Um, I know we're talking about the Lord of the Rings movies, but if you've seen the Hobbit movie, you just, you get it. Um, especially the Battle of the Five Armies where she just goes off on Sauron and the, yeah, I, I, I don't need to say more. I'm taking that number one. I love it, dude. I love it. Um, number two, I believe, um, I drafted this man. Um, let me see. Hang on. I lost my spot. I, I believe I drafted him earlier. Actually, no, I didn't. But he was actually one I considered in our first draft when we talked about like drafting a basketball team from like TV shows and movies in general. Uh, I'm going to go with Legolas at the shooting guard. Obviously, dude can't miss. Um, so I just need someone to pass the ball to when I know what's going in. So I'm going to go with Legolas at the two. Dude, great pick. He, he was up there for me. Um, at my two, I'm taking Aragorn. I... This guy, he is the epitome of what a man should be. He has, like, these really sweet, sensitive moments with a bunch of different characters. But then he's also carrying around that giant sword, killing orcs, chopping their heads off. He's like, that's what man should be. It's just, like, these two polar opposite things come into one. And, yeah, that's that's why I'm taking him number two. Heck, I, I thought about him as number one. I just, I love the dude. That that was my alternate for for number one. I, I just thought he's an absolute team leader. Like that that guy has captain just tattooed on his forehead. Dude knows what's <laughs> up. Um, I absolutely agree. He's the definition of a man. Um, okay, number three. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into the the elf realm. I'm gonna go with uh, uh, Elrond. Um, I, I, again, I just think he's got he's got some powerful quotes in there sometimes that like make you wonder like the meaning of existence um he's also kind of he's kind of intimidating um not gonna lie um so i think chemistry wise things might be a little bit off but dude in, in my opinion i think elrond is powerful too so i'm gonna go with elrond at the three great pick man great pick he was he was up there for me um my number three i think i'm gonna take sauron might be might be a little of a hot take no pun intended with all the lava and stuff, but yeah, I mean, dude, dude's got game. Um, I don't, I don't know if much more needs to be said about him. No, I don't, I don't think it does. Great pick. Um, four, I'm going to go with, uh, Saruman. Um, great, absolute fantastic battle, um, in fellowship between him and Gandalf. Um, the, the sound effects alone, it just, it, it just pulls you in, man. Um, you know, the squeaking of the floor, that that's phenomenal cinematography uh, right there, uh, but Saruman's a powerful dude, so I'm gonna go with him at the four. That's a great pick, man. Um, at my four, I'm taking Treebeard. <laughs> that's that might be <laughs> the steal be of the draft. That's the steal of the draft. <laughs> this wasn't a pick that I was expecting to make at at any point in this draft, but just the more I thought about it, he just felt like a really good option. Um, so yeah, Treebeard at number four. Okay, that's a good pick. Uh, before I go with my my fifth pick, I just have to say I think uh, the team manager uh, for me would have been Sam. Um, he's just such a, a lovable guy. Um, I I think his montage at the end of the two towers or his his um, not his montage but his his monologue. His monologue. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. That that brings me to tears every time. Um, so I think he would he would pull up some great pregame speeches. Like, dude just knows what to say. So honorable mention, Samwise Gamgee. Um, at the five, hot take here. I think this is a bad draft pick for me. I didn't have a lot of time, but I'm going to go with Boromir. So th th that's going to be my five. Uh, he gets, he gets you know, tapped a little bit early, but, you know, 
I feel like he, the talent is there, so I'm going to go with him at the five. Oh, dude, he's he's totally got the talent. I'm trying to think of like his NBA comp because he's got the talent, but just like some off the court stuff got in the way a little bit. Yeah, I can't and, really think of somebody. I mean, <laughs> it's gonna keep me up at night, man. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe I'd mention um, a guy that used to play for the Hornets. I won't say his name, but you know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's the the comparison between someone who does not currently play in the NBA anymore, but but used to. Maybe I don't want to go into some rough waters here and and uh, get canceled. But <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if I'm following. <laughs> I think you got to okay. say the name, man. I think I think you got to get controversial here. We'll we'll just move we'll just move on to your five, and then maybe maybe we'll get back to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, my five. Formier was actually a good pick. I'm kind of jealous of that pick. Um, I think I'm going to take the Witch King. You know, the guy that stabbed Frodo in the first one, uh, obviously one of the Nazgul, gets killed by um, What's-Her-Face in the third one. You know, he has some low moments, but he's got some high moments too. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I like the guy. I just feel like having that chemistry between him and Sauron is going to go a long way in the grand scheme of things. So, Yeah, that, that's not a bad pick at all. Um, to get really controversial here at the end, uh, the player I was thinking of was Miles Bridges. Oh, that, that'll do it. He did have the on-court talent. and He did have the off-court issues. <laughs> yeah, he did. Pretty, pretty so, fair comp. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to... I didn't, I didn't want to get canceled, but there's a little hot, hot topic issue there at the end of the episode. But thank you all for listening. Hopefully we were able to recap every one of our thoughts about All-Star Weekend. Let us know what you think. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for tuning in.